Hello, I'm David Hughes and this is Rogue Commentary, the podcast that brings you new audio commentaries for interesting movies by the people who made them. For this episode, I'm delighted to welcome author Paul Tremblay for a walk through M. Night Shyamalan's film Knock at the Cabin, which was adapted from Paul's novel The Cabin at the End of the World. Being a fan of the book before I saw the film, I was fascinated by the story divergences between the source and the adaptation and was incredibly excited when Paul agreed to record a commentary discussing the ideas behind the book and his thoughts about the film. I was even more thrilled when Paul told me he'd be joined on his commentary by friend and fellow horror writer John Langan, Bram Stoker award-winning author of The Fisherman. John's new short story collection, Corpse Mouth and Other Autobiographies, is out now, but you'd have to wait a little longer for Paul's new collection, The Beast You Are, which is unleashed in July. I strongly urge you to check them out. Right, back to the commentary. As always, you can listen like this as a podcast, or for best results, cue it up to the film, pausing on the first frame and waiting for Paul and John to tell you when to press play. Enjoy. Okay. Hey, so welcome to this rogue uh, commentary of Knock in the Cab, uh, Knock in the Cabin, Knock at the Cabin. It's a confusing title, John. Don't confuse me. That's um, uh, <laughs> too late, it seems. <laughs> well, I'm Paul Tremblay, author of The Cabin at the End of the World, which is uh, the novel that this movie adapts. I'm joined by my good friend and writer, John Langan, mainly because if I have to get up and go to the bathroom during the, the movie, he can talk. It's nice to know what my uh, what my responsibilities are at this uh, right at the outset and to share your brilliance. Uh, sure, yeah. It, uh, hi, everybody. I'm John Langan. I'm uh, Paul Tremblay's, uh, I guess, like sort of bathroom stand-in, I, I suppose. So, <laughs> whenever you hear me speaking, you can be relatively sure that Paul has had to run to the bathroom. Fabulous. Uh, and what have you written, John? Just a. Uh, I, oh, I've, I've written um, um, a novel called The Fisherman, uh, and most recently a collection of stories called Corpse Mouth and other autobiographies. All right, both are brilliant. And enough of the intro, I guess. We're going to start the movie. Press play, Tremblay. Why isn't it starting? <laughs> there we go. Did you, did you get it to start? I got it to start. Okay. I'm at 21 seconds. I'm just, okay. I'm just you, you might okay. be a little ahead of me. Okay, you want me to pause? <laughs> no, I'm I'm good. I'm at 20. Yeah, we're good. Um, okay. There's sorry, like a bird. This is the this is the lo-fi, the lo-fi version of uh of, of audio commentary. Uh as it's you know, as it's warming up with like lo-fi or edge. low ability. <laughs> Both. Uh I would say briefly, my novel was optioned in 2017. Um, but M. Knight didn't become involved officially. Like he started working on the screenplay at like 2021. Um, yeah. Knock at the cabin, big title. Dave Batista, I love him. <laughs> He's a large man. He is uh, indeed. Jonathan Groff, I love him too. Ben Aldrich, I love him. Yeah, they're all super nice. I got to go to set for a couple of days. You know, maybe Nikki, I love her. <laughs> I'll point Kristen, out her too. I'll point out which scenes I got to see in person. Abby. Abby. Uh, Rupert Grant. Rupert Grant. Who's that guy? <laughs> I don't know the casting. I like the Ron little. Weasley. Uh, the illustrations are a nice touch. I like the size and color of the font. I don't know if he chose per, uh, yellow purposely because I made a big deal of yellow in the novel, but I think it's just a, who knows. I don't know, John. <laughs> well, I I think what I what I like this time around because obviously this is this is not my first time seeing the movie but but 
these strike me so much more the the opening um, illustrations here. You know that these are the visions that yes. that the the four are having, and, and this is them just you know writing this stuff down furiously and and just freak. Oh, hey, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> yes, my my credit was nice and large. Yeah, um, it's funny. So like this movie. You know, I would say for the first two thirds of it, you know, a lot of it definitely lines up with with the novel. Um, and I really enjoy that, he, you know, he gets right into it like the novel does. You know, the novel opens with when in the front yard, you know, capturing, uh, capturing grasshoppers. Uh, and so does the movie. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating that I, I don't know enough about vegetation to know what kind of vegetation mm. this is. But, you know, in, in my one of the things that's interesting to me is when I started reading the book, I pictured something that was much more like a traditional lawn um, yeah. as opposed to this, which which looks much more like what you would find in the woods. Yeah, I did as well. I mean, that's probably a, a function of where they built their outdoor set. You know, in the book, it's set in northern New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the movie, you know, M. Night makes almost all of this stuff near Pennsylvania, or if not in Pennsylvania, near Philadelphia. So these are the Jersey Pine Barrens, I think. Um, I love the detail of of, of Wen's uh, notebook, which is right out of the right out of the novel. Some of those names that she writes in their notebook, uh, Orvin. It was a kid who was in my class at the time. That's why I get to steal from my students sometimes. I made no farting jokes, though. I was told I, I was my publisher doesn't allow me to make farting jokes. And uh, well, there you go. <laughs> I also like that you know right at the beginning, as as we see um, as as we see when with the with the glass jar in the background is the cabin already, and so you know the she's between like if if you look at the way that he positions it here, right? You know, there's mm. the the jar what she's containing things in, and then behind her is the cabin that she's going to be contained in. Correct. Yes. And here comes Leonard. Are you are you two Leonard coming up? Are we synced up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, okay, I just yeah. I'm I'm it's it's uh I'm just thinking, my God, even at this distance, Dave Batista is a big man, you know, like like he's just he has such a physical presence. And um yeah, it's how how in, in a way, how can his appearance not be ominous? Yeah. He told my wife at the after the premiere that he had actually gained weight for the role, uh, just to be even bigger. Uh, he was definitely sort of more slimmed down at the at, at the premiere and the after party. Uh, mm -hmm. It's funny in the in the book, Leonard is described as being in like in his early twenties, very much sort of like a teddy bear looking person. So, like initially, when I found out that Batista was was going to play Leonard, I was like, "Ooh, you know, size wise, he's he's Leonard, but you know, certainly he brings a different look." But I will say that I think he he nails Leonard. You know, he he's got both that he definitely has like a sense of vulnerability at the same time, a sense of threat just from his physical size and his appearance. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. He he definitely um, just the fact that well the, the size contrast right, and also the way that it's filmed right. We're looking down at when we're looking up right. at at Batista right, and that that really emphasizes and, and, you know, look at the difference between their hands, right? Yeah, absolutely. It really emphasizes the, just the disparity between them. And I, I think you, even if Batista is, even if this character were the sweetest of characters, you would still feel, wow, he's, he's, this is a little unnerving. No, for sure. I like that 
you know, we, uh, that sweep of his hand slowly to the grass. It's just sort of occurring to me now. It's almost like, you know, a hand of God kind of slow sweep to capture the one, you know, the one grasshopper. Uh, no, I, I think, you know, I, this is probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie, the opening scene. I mean, partly because it so mirrors what happens in the book, but I think it captures that tension. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of facial close-ups. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I think, too, that he... Um... I was thinking about that, you know, the, the way that that hand sweeps up the grasshopper. Yeah. That, that is, it's like the hand of God. It's also what he's going to do to Gwen and her family, right. Is he's going to imprison them. Right. And it's uh, for me, like comparing the book to the movie, like this scene, I, I mean, I think the scene is wonderfully done and I love the close-ups and that slow hand, especially because I can't really do the slow hand thing in the book and the book was more a little bit, you know, from right. one's point of view, I was sort of imagining them, the, uh, the movie I was imagining was Frankenstein, 1931, uh, James Wales. Is it Whale or Wally? Whale, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frankenstein, the famous scene where Frankenstein is sitting across. James, uh, James Wales. Yeah, where he's sitting across fr from the little girl before he chucks her into the water was sort of the image that I was working with with them two sitting in the grass next to each other. All happy things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, right, that, that what Frankenstein's monster does in the movie is that there's a, how would you put it, like a kind of misunderstanding, right, that, that right. He, he sees the beautiful things being thrown in the water and he thinks, oh, the little girl is beautiful. This is what you do with beautiful things. You know, there's, um, so, so there is this kind of, tra she, she obviously, she, she dies, but there's something tragic about that. You know, it's not, it's not malicious. And mm. obviously Leonard is, is, doesn't think of himself as malicious. Right. And thank you for correcting me on Frankenstein's monster. I just referred to him lazily as Frankenstein. <laughs> you know, I think he probably took his dad's name. It got confusing and he was just like, okay, I'll just be Frankenstein. Yeah, I agree. See, even in the, actually they're doing it in the movie too, like picking petals off a flower too, was sort of a purposeful reference to uh, Frankenstein where, you know, when and Leonard play this yeah, game, yeah, so I yeah. pull off a petal, you have to tell me, you know, I have to tell me kind of secret. So I believe, so there were, well, there, I mean, there were multiple sets. I mean, they must've had like second units to some of the apocalyptic stuff, but in terms of the cabin, they had a cabin built outdoors somewhere in Jersey, just for the outdoor shots. For all the cabins interior shots, they did it inside of a sound stage, or it was really like a warehouse outside of Philadelphia. That's where I got to go. Um, so <laughs> right. for me, it's just a little fascinating just to see, you know, from like how to, how they make it kind of thing. You know, it, it seems pretty seamless to me. Um, you know, so obviously they had to film a bunch of stuff like in a different order. You know, I'm always fast. I'm fascinated by that part of it. You know, because as when I write, I write everything in the order in which I think it's going to happen. Um, here come the rest of the invaders. There are four of them, John. Very subtle. Four, you said. <laughs> four. Very subtle reference. I like that. I like that. That's your math teacher abilities coming in because, uh, <laughs> you know, as an English teacher, uh, numbers mean nothing to me. Oh, yeah. No, numbers became, well, somewhat important for me with this book. It was my seventh novel. I felt like this was, I was an important number. There were seven grasshoppers. You know, they line up with the number of people, obviously, in the cabin, number stuff. So maybe it is my most mathy novel, which is maybe why it's the most disturbing one. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. So we meet the parents. Um, <laughs> very obscure, little known fact, and probably only not that many people will know who I'm talking about, although you should, or they should. Uh, in the book, I describe Eric's physical body as the writer, uh, Chris Irvin, who wrote a wonderful novel called Ragged. Um, if you haven't, you know, if you're in the hankering for anthropomorphic animal meets uh, Fargo novel, you should read that. And which one of us is not? <laughs> I don't know. Um, silence. Sorry, I'm just getting, I've never done a commentary track before. I'm just getting sucked into the novel again. This is the first time I'm actually watching at home. Other times I've watched it, it's been on the screen. Uh, actually, the previous times, I have to admit, I was a little distracted. <laughs> uh, you know, the first time seeing it at the, you know, seeing it at the premiere, yeah, it was just sort of like a, a blur of an experience. Um, so I'm enjoying, you know, seeing more details here, even though I'm sure Knight somewhere is rolling around, not in his grave, but just rolling around in his house angry, like every movie should be on the big screen. Uh, he actually talked quite a bit about that in the lead up to this movie. I <laughs> It is a nice cabin. Yeah, much well, nicer, it, it, it's much nicer than the one on I described. Screen. Yeah, for sure. It's a beautiful bookcase that they have back there. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely um, this is this is a place you would love to uh, love. I mean, aside from the home invasion, this is definitely <laughs> a place you would love to vacation at. Mm. And yet it's even this early on knowing, you know, as, as, I mean, as I did even before I watched the movie, knowing the, you know, having read the book and knowing the plot, you know, immediately my eye is drawn to those, you know, all the windows, the big glass doors. I was like, oh my God, it's, they're so vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know the, the windows, especially for sure. Um, so we're going to get a shot here, not a full shot of the weapons that they're carrying, uh, but like a glimpse. That was a, I got a funny set of texts from Knight about the weapons asking me like, you know, where, where, where you know, what idea or where did you come up with uh, those weapons? Like, what did you use for inspiration? Um, I hadn't saved all my research, but I just wanted like random like farm looking, very medieval looking homemade kind of like, why do they make those sort of tools? Um, right. Yeah. So they're not the movie. They're not exactly the same, but I mean, they're uh, they're great. They, they definitely look menacing. I kind of wish we got to we get to see them in action a little bit more later, but we can talk about that. Um, I didn't have much in ways of yeah, uh, yeah. research to show them. I, I didn't save some of that stuff, but I did find like some links to to weird looking eighteen hundreds farm farming equipment. Well, I think it, it gives them the feeling right of it gives them the feeling of of ritual devices, right? right? Exactly. It's it's, uh, it's not just um, an axe or, or whatever, right? You know, so so something that could be used for something else, right? You you might kill someone with it, but you might also chop a tree down. These are things that that have the look of being fashioned for a specific purpose, and and so they're they're sort of simultaneously kind of homemade looking, right? But but and and also it's not simultaneously, but because they're homemade looking, they they look that that much more unnerving, I, I yeah. think. Mm. 
And then they have that sort of juxtaposed with Andrew threatening them with a with a gun, just a general like, you know, he doesn't have one on him. You know, maybe he does have one later. Right, right. And the idea that that gun is supposed to make you safe <laughs> or make you feel safe. I think that's played up a little bit more in the book. Right, right. Meeting the prop guy. <laughs> I wish I could, it's all I can remember his name. Or that, obviously that's not his name. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a family name, prop guy. Um, yeah, possibly. <laughs> on the set was a lot of fun. They actually had this cabinet, like it looked like it was specially made and had names for each of the weapons. One of them was like cow killer. Um, and they had like, not balsa wood, but there was light as balsa wood versions, you know, mm -hmm. sort of rubbery plastic. And then they actually had actual wooden and metal, you know, someone made those things. That's fascinating. I wonder how they, they alter the, when do they decide which one to use? You know, obviously the balsa or the the rubber would yeah. be would be less dangerous, I guess, and also easier. If you have to hold the the weapon for a long period of time, it would be easier to hold right. the balsa one. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I, uh, it'd be interesting. I I wish I was there to see them holding some of their weapons. Um, they, you know, when an actual attack's going on, I would assume that's when they're using the sort of the balsa ones. Yeah, yeah. They didn't. You didn't try to steal one, take one home with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, TSA wasn't going to let me. I did ask, but that ask went unanswered. Yeah, alas. Yeah, probably just as well. I might hurt myself. We just saw Rupert Grant looking angry and trying to get in. Why is Ron Weasley so angry now? Well, you know, um, <laughs> things didn't work out between him and Hermione. No, sorry, yeah. sorry. That's a deep cut. <laughs> but yeah, what they have in in um, in in response or in defense are, are just, I mean, metal weapons, I suppose, but they're not really weapons. That's just yeah. stuff you use for, you know, the fireplace. Right. Yeah, beautiful hardwood floors there too. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not the takeaway from this attack scene. They're getting in, John. What are we going to do? Well, it's funny, you know, how, how I was thinking about that, how in these sorts of scenarios, you, you, uh, at least I, I, I guess I should say, like, yeah. I try to imagine, well, how would I do it? You know, like, like, how would I? Right. How would I escape, or 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 how would I fight back, or or whatever, you know? And and uh, I don't. Uh, which, of course, is the temptation, right? That these become sort of power fantasies, in in a way, you know, mm -hmm. the 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 white man defending his family, sort of thing. As and yeah. uh, you know, part of the the frightening thing here, right, is is that right from the get go, bang, you know, it just isn't working out. Mm. I love that they kept the scene of Andrew knocking the snot out of Redmond. That that wasn't in the initial screenplay, uh, the first version of the screenplay before M. Knight was involved. So I'm glad Knight brought that back. I thought that was an important component of Andrew's yeah, yeah. of Andrew's character. And the concussion aspect of <laughs> of, of Eric's concussion. You know, for for all the years at my high school uh, in coaching, where I had to take a con concussion course every summer, I finally got to. Well, aside from protecting right. my players, I got to use that information in this book. And my first two novels were crime novels, and within the crime sort of genre, there's a there's a hokey trope of like the detective getting hit on the head with a sap or something, and that's the end of a chapter, right? 
and then he wakes up the next chapter and is fine uh-huh. you know he's, he's in a bad situation but he's fine um which isn't the case if you get a concussion and in fact if you get a concussion in which you actually lose consciousness you're you're in big trouble or you're going to be hurting for you know multiple days never mind like an hour or two later you know so i i did try oh, yeah, yeah, as yeah. i as i could you know as much as i could to give erica a realistic concussion you know which which leaves him sort of you know hampered i guess or if in terms of like you know the struggle that continues for the rest of the book yeah there's there's a there's something uh just fascinating to visually here right you know the 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 image of of uh of, of leonard holding gwen which we are when excuse me which is uh sinister you know but but there's there's something uh it, it's sinister to us it's sinister to to the i guess to the audience right but but leonard certainly doesn't seem sinister it, it looks like this sort of bizarre uh uh bizarre like like heterosexual family i guess right mm. um and then there's this fascinating jump right to to um to eric and andrew sitting together and there's mom and dad across from them you know they're they're confronting these different <laughs> sort of sort of hostile forces you know right. obviously only one is is uh physically threatening yeah no i think i mean what i mean one of the challenges for me writing the book was where to put like some flashbacks like that and uh and i thought like that flashback that that night did you know as you described it is very well placed in the book i described them as as watching steven universe so i don't know if they they probably didn't have permission for steven universe <laughs> yeah a different show Well, it's strawberry shortcake here, you know. Yeah. But even the the lighting, as as uh, as Andrew, uh, excuse me, as Eric comes to, you know, the mm-hmm. the, um, the there's definitely the uh, we get we that helps, I think, on some level to register that that uh, visually that you know something has happened to him, like yes. he's had some kind of trauma. Right. No, absolutely. And the lighting in general to me, you know, on the sort of the movie making level was fascinating because, you know, all these scenes now inside the cabin, this isn't a warehouse, uh, you know, so they can better control with, you know, there's sur- the cabin surrounded by banks of light so they could instantly or, you know, fairly quickly change it to if this is dusk or afternoon or dawn. Um, even that shot of Abby standing right. there, I think that's, right. <laughs> they made like uh, curtains to look like the outdoors, you know, for, you know, cause the, the trees yeah. on the outside aren't focused, but they're just there enough so that you can see it. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff. <laughs> I'd never been on a set before. So that, I, so yeah, it's fascinating. Of, those, those little kind of technical details that uh, I, I suppose if you're like a, whatever, if you're a filmmaker, you're like, Oh, this is obvious, but right. to, <laughs> to the amateurs, it's like, Oh my God, look at how yeah. they did this to us writers. It's almost time. So we're approaching the point where uh, after it happens, I'll talk about like the original what if scenario of, of the book. Um, I really like the scene where they introduce themselves. It's, it just seems like, you know, such a strange, you know, given the circumstance, it's such an odd thing to do. Uh, Although at the same time, you know, it's kind of a human thing to do to like, hey, this is who I am. And then this is why we're doing this. Um, and not even necessarily an attempt to humanize the 
at least when I was writing it, humanize the invaders as much, but just to, <laughs> to make, you know, I've always liked in, in a story, a horror story, if you can take like a normal situation and just by its, you know, by some of its normalcy, make it seem even more strange or threatening. Leonard, sorry, I had to do my Boston, my Boston Leonard. <laughs> yeah, and there's something that there's um, that 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 humanizing inside. I think it really works, right? That the we are not bad people, you know. We we just we have something that we have no choice. We have to do this, but that doesn't make us bad people, you know. As right. as if as if your choice um, to do something bad can be removed from you in, in some way, shape or form. Right. And it was fun to have Redmond, you know, clearly the most loathsome of the, of the four invaders, um, you know, sort of recognize like this is, you know, <laughs> we're just freaking these people out. Like we're not, we're not helping. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he he's a uh, yeah he's a weird character in in some ways. You know, he's so Redmond. I mean, he he seems he presents as so pessimistic that that you sort of wonder why is why is he doing this? Like, um, his motivations, like I I feel like are actually they're quite fascinating. There there could be a you know a monologue or something. I suppose that might be a good creative writing assignment. You know what is uh, you know if you were teaching this book, what what's going on inside Redmond's head because he seems so pessimistic about everything um what does he think he's accomplishing or does he not even know is he is he a kind of mystery to himself right and he seems the most mystery to the invaders themselves too like i mean it's pretty clear you know certainly novel i think in the movie too yeah. they don't have they don't have good vibes from him um you know and, and that plays a role in, in what they believe or, or, or choose not to believe or what that what's what tests their belief Yeah. Well, I love how Abby plays Adrienne, very twitchy. <laughs> Definitely was how I sort of wrote her in the book. Yeah. Yeah. She uh I mean she I think I think she's relatively new, but she she starred in a movie called Torn Hearts directed by Bria Grant and it's a a Blumhouse movie, very fun. Uh it's a very fun uh sort of two country stars or two wannabe country stars sort of end up fighting over the attentions of a, of an old Dolly Parton-esque sort of figure. But imagine if Dolly Parton had never, <laughs> you know, was no longer like part of the pop culture sort of landscape kind of thing. Uh, and her character in that movie is very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I have to say, I, I, I mean, I, I, um, I don't know how to put this. I, I almost feel bad for the other actors in the movie. Like, like, you know, Dave Batista, right. is such a sort of cultural phenomenon and he does an amazing job in the film, but, but so does everybody else, you know? And, yeah. and I, I, I think that that isn't um, each person that the, the, this film does not work without great acting from everybody. Um, if you've got one wooden person, let alone, you know, any, any more than that, it's just not gonna, it's just not gonna work. And it, and it really does. Right. <clears throat> I've been thinking of the book I named the cats Riff and Raff. 
Uh, well, uh, you know, that was a good choice. Uh, TV's off. Something's happening, John. Hold me. So be careful. Okay, just um, just be calm. <laughs> be calm. Breathe deeply. Okay. Yeah. I know the guy who wrote this. He's pretty messed up. So um, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Just close your eyes. Close your yeah. eyes and it'll be over soon. My two kids who are older, uh, 18 and 22, <laughs> on the train ride down to New York City, they hadn't read the book yet. So they were cramming the book like they were studying for a final exam. And my daughter listened to the audio like on twice the speed so she could finish it. But yeah, she said what you'd said, that the author was messed up. It's hard not to take that personally. So on the set visit, you know, I did notice you know, I'm sure obviously other people are going to talk about this more, especially on the official version instead of the rogue version. <laughs> but, you know, I did notice that night, it looked like he he pretty much uh, blocked every shot, like or, or storyboarded, I should say. That's the phrase, right? He actually had drawn like a, a notebook yeah. full of, looked like pretty much every main scene slash every main shot. He, he had already, like, it was like he knew what he wanted before, you know, before he got there. I'm sure things change, but you know, that's pretty, you know, I found that pretty interesting that he could sort of see what he wanted, what he wanted to end up being on the screen before arriving on set for, for a vast portion of the movie. Yeah. Permanently and cosmically alone. I wrote that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's just the commentary is like, hey, I wrote that part. That part I didn't write. Um, I don't think I gave Leonard classes. I guess that makes <laughs> that makes David uh, Batista look a little bit more vulnerable having glasses. Yeah, the glasses are well. It's funny. The glasses and the tattoos are are the sort of interesting. You know, the the what is it? I wonder. You know, what what do tattoos signify to us at this point in time? Right. Right um and um and what do glasses signify i think glasses probably still signify intelligence or something like that you know intellectualism or, or whatever and then you know the the tattoos um yeah i, I don't know I, I, it, it makes it, it it visually represents i guess you know the, the complexities of leonard's character mm -hmm. right and also, I don't think David was going to have his tattoos removed for the role. <laughs> he could wear like those sleeve things, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, imagine having that guy as your preschool teacher. <laughs> or a, a second grade, right. second grade teacher. Yeah, a yeah. well-behaved well class with a living jungle gym to climb, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, there's hang-off varieties. There's something gonna happen. <laughs> I did get to see dailies. Yeah, I did get to see dailies of the seed leading up to a of a, leading up to to the first sort of death, um, and I was very 
inordinately excited mm -hmm. <laughs> at how disturbing it looked. You're all about the murder. Which is funny because I'm usually not like I, I definitely, you know, I'm not like a gore hound. I wouldn't describe myself as that uh, as a horror fan. You know, some people talk about like, oh, the kills in this movie are great. That's a phrase I've never said. <laughs> uh, I don't think I right, ever right, would. right. Yeah, yeah. Good kill or whatever. Yeah. But in the book, it's, you know, the, the kills are super, are super violent purposefully. Um, right. I didn't want to like shy away from it mainly because I wanted to, to remind the reader like every time, well, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but uh, every, I assume people are going to be watching or listening to a, a, a commentary track after they watch the movie anyway. But um, yeah, in the book, like the violence is, is super detailed and gory because I want it to be a reminder of this is what you're asking the family to do. As the reader, you have to, you have to remember this. You have to be reminded of this. Right. You know, this awfulness is you know, what you may or may not be rooting for the family to do, um, you know, depending, I guess, you know, as the viewer reader, whether or not you believe an apocalypse is actually happening. Yeah, I, I think that that's what, um, you know, the, the, how would you put it? The, 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 um, party game <laughs> you know <laughs> that that, uh, that went around with oh who would you say who would you sacrifice yeah, yeah. would you make the sacrifice i mean let alone it's morally reprehensible but mm -hmm. but also it, it 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 in addition to that it ignores the the violence that that oh right. yeah because you just mm -hmm. think oh well we would just send them outside or something it's like a, like it's it's like um yeah you just get to turn a switch a werewolf or something that just they would just go outside as as opposed to they would be you know brutally brutally killed right Nice overhead shot with a choreograph, almost like, uh, you know, marching band kind of movement there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I know M. Night obviously has talked about, as many directors do, how much, you know, he loves Hitchcock. Um. I, mean, I thought about Hitchcock's definition of suspense while writing this movie, like a bomb, what's it, a bomb exploding under the table is action, but like the bomb having not yet exploded under the table is suspense, like, but you know, it's there. Yeah, so yeah. So this, yeah. this long sort of <laughs> torturous lead up to, you know, into a death. Because yeah, you knew something's going to happen terrible, but you're not quite sure yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I suppose this is the the moment, right, where we're like, oh my God, they're they're serious, they're they're. Uh, but it's but it's also, I think, what's so bizarre, right, in the in the setup is they've just killed one of their own, right? This mm. is not what we're expecting. We're expecting in these kinds of scenarios, you know, we we would think that, oh well, if you can't make the choice, we're going to make it for you. And it's like, no, 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 we we have to be sacrificed. We have to sacrifice mm. ourselves because we couldn't fulfill our mission. I love the visual of the mask on. Uh on Redmond, they did a really nice job. Hmm. There's the flash of light. 
See, in the theater, I never really saw anything other than a flashlight. Other people are saying they could see something in the mirror, like a figure. I still don't see a figure. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I see the flash of light, but yeah. but not the... Uh, not the, yeah, in the not book, the figure. From Eric, right, from Eric's point of view, he describes sort of seeing almost like a figure outlined in light, you know, a horrible figure. It's not something that brings him comfort. Um, yeah, and I remember that, but I didn't. I didn't remember. I, I thought, interestingly, I thought that the movie actually left it a little bit more ambiguous. Like he sees the light, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but you know, right? Maybe it's just that right. The religious connotations of the light. <laughs> this fun little camera work here for uh, for Leonard's strike of the body. When I did see dailies, they did shoot more of uh, of the women uh, beating Redmond's body with their weapons. Uh -huh. But it looks like when they got to editing, <clears throat> excuse me, they definitely they made a choice to to move away from the more violence, overtly violent act, which right. Right. again I think might be a little bit of a mistake. Uh, you know, in my opinion, you know, because of what we had talked about, like you know, the stakes of the violence, what the violence sort of means. Right. So uh, for this scene, I have to admit, when I wrote the book of <laughs> you know, displaying a little bit of my ignorance and privilege that like I just assumed um, a queer couple would be able to adopt a girl from China, which is not the case, apparently. Uh, I, I had based a lot of I had based a lot of Wen's experience right. and, uh, on I worked with uh, I worked with the person who had adopted a, a girl from China and I knew a few other people um, and actually in the book I describe Wen's going to like cultural school and and uh, you know learning the Chinese language a little bit of our friend Jack Haringa and his son you know from what I knew about his son going to Japanese school and stuff like that but the actual adoption <laughs> uh, can't happen. Which again, it's just uh, like I said, a little me being like, you know, oh yeah, why wouldn't they be able to to adopt? And it was funny when it came to filming time. They actually, the producer asked me, "Hey, did you know this?" I'm like, "Oh no, sorry." <laughs> so it was an interesting way how they sort of addressed it by, you know, having them to pretend to be, you know, you know, brothers, you know, the wife not being there for the adoption kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and it's it's very. I mean, I think it it it's very. It's a very effectively placed memory. You know, the 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 violence of of. Okay, you've just seen this guy get murdered now, so so you have the this group has been the, mm -hmm. the four have have been reduced to three, and then we flash back to this moment when the two were increased to three. You know, and right. and um and I I think also it's mm -hmm. it's this is what. You know, this is what these guys who have just murdered one of their own are are asking these guys to sacrifice, or are, are asking Eric and Andrew to sacrifice. Right. Yeah, even the blood cleans up pretty easily. <laughs> Maybe a little bit too. You easily. just have to know the right cleaning stuff. You know, it's it's and a little elbow grease. I know that M. Night uh, 
<laughs> tends to make cameos in almost all of his movies. I thought this was a very, very funny, very clever way to get himself into into a cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I expect to see you with the cameo in the next movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to. Oh, I should say, but as they're working up to this. So the book really started with, oh, like I've never, you know, I don't like home invasion movies. How would I do one? And I was like, okay. Um, and that made me excited to try one. And then the question was, okay, we've all seen a home invasion movie where the invaders show up and do terrible things to the family. You know, we've all seen sort of the flip of that, you know, even starting with like straw dogs back in what was that late sixties, early seventies? Early seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the, you know, where the tables are turned and it's the family that does, you know, the, you know, the awful, terrible stuff by the end of the movie. So I was like, okay, what if the invaders, you know, my wife was, what if the invaders showed up and started killing each other off? It's like, that's really yeah, weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how could I, you know, how could I make that work? Yeah, and that's how, you know, much of the plot sort of grew out from that. Yeah. Yeah. Also with the idea that, you know, this TV and this beautiful remote cabin, you know, there's no cell service, but, you know, we still have access to, you know, satellite television. Just the idea that every time we turn on the TV or look at our phones, it feels like the apocalypse is happening. You know, which is why yeah. I wanted to leave it ambiguous. You know, so for anybody out there who hasn't read the book, which is probably most of you, <laughs> uh, yeah, the book, you know, is going to leave the question of whether or not the invaders are correct as as that that doesn't get answered directly. I was here on set yeah. for for the for for the filming of these scenes, <laughs> with you know basically the actors looking at a blank television the whole time, obviously. Right. For Oregon. Well, with a big article in the New Yorker about this a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite parts leading up to the book, I had sent the book, an early copy to Stephen King, who very graciously read it and said some awesome things about it, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, so he had read it like a full six months before the book was published. And then January of 2018, there was a, a sizable earthquake off the Aleutian Islands, as is described in the book and, and is happening in the movie. Um, and there were there were tsunami warnings. You know, thankfully no tsunamis made it to any sort of populated shorelines. Uh, <laughs> you know, and after that, it happened. Yeah, and yeah. that happened pretty quickly. Like it was pretty quickly disseminated that, hey, you know, don't, the, you know, after the initial tsunami warning, there's there's no worries. Stephen King emailed me just really quickly and just said, hurry, uh, <laughs> earthquake off the, you know, off the coast of the <laughs> islands. Quick, sacrifice somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen. It does it worry just, me that that's where yeah. his mind went right away. Right. You know, I know. he was yeah. like, I thought this was going to be hard to watch because I don't like watching uh, tsunami footage or, or or movies. It's like a definite fear of mine, despite having lived, or maybe because of having lived near the coast my whole life. Uh, it's definitely like a, it's up there with, it's, it's probably not as, <laughs> not as triggery for me as the fear of nuclear war, but it's, it's close. 
Oh, it's 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 a it's a brilliantly filmed scene. I, I mean, yeah, I I I um um yeah. <laughs> you know, I I guess because we had the when was the um Indian Ocean tsunami? Was was that 2003, 2004? So I I guess we've been I have been, I should yeah. say, aware of of it, you know, but um but yeah, this is uh well, this is apocalyptic, right? Right. Or maybe not. It is funny though that that uh, you know it's after after this after they watch this video that that's when the dads are like, "Go to your room." <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I mean, I thought Knight did a very good job of, you know, because in the novel, I moved around between points of view. Uh, most of it is actually, it's all third person. Well, except for the last chapter. Um, so it's a lot of third person, not omniscient, but third person close, you know, being able to get into the heads of some of the characters. So I definitely thought he did a good job of conveying sort of what they were struggling with, uh, you know, just obviously through image and what they're talking about. Yeah. When, when, when uh, when Leonard is like when the second earthquake strikes and Leonard is like there it is like like there's relief you know like like yeah because if it's just the first one he's like oh, we just we just murdered someone for this yeah you know like and and then it's like oh thank God there is an apocalypse happening or apocalyptic events happening. So a flashback of them arriving to the cabin. Not in the book, but I think it's very well done. Uh, you get a glimpse of their relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the it's the thing that um, I I think you know as an all good horror, right? Um, if for 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 it to work, we have to care. We have to care about the characters, and if we uh if we don't we're in trouble right and so how do you do that and in, in what's in a sense almost like a stage play you know something where where it's mm -hmm. it's intensely focused on on a few hours of time at one place you know and and i think that these this these kinds of scenes help to help to really set that up mm -hmm. doesn't look like a very swimmable pond or lake <laughs> no i'm picky though like i i I need to have sand. I don't want any, I don't want any muck weeds. <laughs> so I guess I'm saying I wouldn't rent this place, which is probably, you know, good advice. Yeah, uh, okay. Well, place. that's, yeah. you know. Yeah, they do have a little dock here. I do enjoy jumping off, jumping off of things into water. I'm definitely sympathetic to that. Look, I gotta, I gotta take my clothes off yeah. first before I jump in. I don't want, you know. Or he does remember to take his phone out. I don't know if we're in the same spot, but I love, <laughs> I love the visuals of the scene of, uh, of Eric and Sabrina talking to each other. 
well the lighting the lighting yeah. on her is is just is just lovely you know i i mean and there's and what's kind of fascinating about it right is is that you know usually when you light somebody it's it draws attention to them and so we think oh they're you know they're in the right you know and and the person who's in the darkness is well they don't know what's going on so there's this kind of really like that that like that and i assume it was a deliberate uh, a deliberate lighting choice on on uh yeah. on Shyamalan's part so yeah we we're getting her bandaging uh uh sabrina Banja bandaging uh uh, Eric and and the the lighting is telling us no 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 you know she's she's in the right or or at least she's not the villain we maybe think she is. I did read something recently on the internet, John. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, complaining about like a you know someone complaining about in movies like characters. There's always scenes of characters talking to each other in a mirror, um, yeah, which people don't do generally. However, I don't think they're talking to each other in this mirror. I, it's just like they're not really staring into the mirror. Um, it's just the point of view that we're getting. I don't know. Yes. They still probably wouldn't do yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I enjoy the visual. I, uh, I have heard of the internet. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I've also heard people like to use it to complain. Mm. Hard is, I mean, imagine having a resource like that and your favorite thing to do with it is to use it to complain. But in any event, um but yeah i i mean you watch a lot of movies you you read a lot of books you you notice certain things that repeat um and and sometimes depending on your choices uh you you happen to notice one thing repeats an awful lot um so what are you going to do the question is is it effective um right in the in the particular moment yeah no when i first saw this movie i was i was hushed by that scene <laughs> I enjoyed it. It's just the lighting too. Part of it again is like, wow, they're doing this like that's fake lighting. Well, not fake lighting, but banks of light, <laughs> you know, turn you know, set to certain yeah. whatever settings to to make it look like it's dusk here in the house. Yeah. Damn it! I guess I am going to do this for most of the time. But the when this when escape did not happen in the book, but it's uh, I enjoyed it. It's fine. Well, of course, what it does, right, is, is it allows you know, the, the visual continuity, right, that mm -hmm. you've seen them coming in that way. So now this becomes a, this becomes a, a means for when to escape. Yeah. And you get the sort of scary, you know, you're in the in the basement thing, right, which is right. always, uh, always scary. I also like where Sabrina is framed in that picture. <laughs> mm hmm. This is one of this is I was still on set for for these scenes that are being shot here. Yeah, uh, so the director of photography, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. You guys will have to read <laughs> read IMDB or the credits, but he has worked on all of Dave Edgar's movies, you know, so the witch, the the lighthouse, the uh, the Northman. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they were all like, he was clearly working his butt off. <laughs> he was always running around. It was taking, you know, almost, you know, usually more than an hour to set up in between shots to change the lighting to, you know, mm -hmm. to get the camera where they wanted to. I mean, so again, that part as a film novice getting to watch all that was really fascinating. Yeah. 
You could say something too, Rev's thinking about that, you know, the late afternoon light, right? You know, it's, we're getting to the end, you know, like, like there's a kind of a um, subtle, I guess you would mm. say, cue to the, to the audience that, oh, things are progressing, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're about, you know, halfway through the film and, um, um, and, and, you know, time is a wasting. No, that's a great point. I had noticed that. And I think I could be wrong, but we'll, I guess we'll find out. I mean, they end up spending a night and there's a next day, but I don't think you see the sun as bright as you do after this first day. Like the, you know, the next day I think is presented as, as overcast. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the clouds building, as, as you say. Right. Also, you know, I'm a riff on a monster chasing, you know, a, a young child through the woods. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it occurs to me, too, that this is also a way to, you know, for <sighs> for those members of the audience who were like talking in a mirror. Um, <laughs> this gives you this is a little bit of action, you yeah. know, like, yeah, oh, yeah. look, she's escaped. Oh, is she going to escape? Is she going to make it? You know, so yeah. it it's. It, it's sort of it's it's like a little bit of a payoff like hey hang mm -hmm. on there kids look at this okay it does seem like every time when and, and leonard directly speak to each other it's the close-ups as opposed to a wider shot of the two together yeah well in the background he's a monster i, I mean you know like mm -hmm. like that's like you it goes back to your frankenstein frankenstein's monster yeah. comparison So definitely introducing uh, in the movie, introducing more doubt as to what's actually going on with Andrew recognizing Redmond as the person who attacked him years prior. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the book, like every piece of information like that could be used on both sides. Like clearly, oh, Redmond is this terrible homophobe. Uh, and that's why they're here. Whereas the the invaders, you know, can be hard, you know, can react horrified by that idea, but they can also sort of justify it by saying, oh, you know, we're being tested by this piece of information. We know we're still doing good. You know, we just have to, you know, sort of sally right, forth. Right. Well, and and so many, yeah, so many narratives. Um, um, what am I trying to say here? So, so many religious narratives, I was gonna say Christian, but I think it's, it's common to many religions, yeah. the, the conversion narrative, right? I was a horrible person, but now I'm better and I'm doing the Lord's work. Mm -hmm. um, and so the fact that you were a sinner makes your conversion that much more, I don't know, authentic or, or convincing or, or meaningful, I guess. And so, uh, so that allows the Redmond story to function that way as well. Right. Also, love and a, and a function of this being made in 2022, essentially. Um, you know, when I wrote the book in 2016, 2017, you know, Andrew and sort of using him as a narrator, you know, talks about like targeted individuals, the idea that these people met online in person. Whereas, you know, fast forward to 2022 or 2023 when you're watching the movie, all you need to have, all you need is one of them to say message board. You know, and, and even Eric looks at Andrew and he says message board, and that's enough information to know, oh, <laughs> you know, this is, you know, these are, these are bad yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that we write it in this day and age message board. I, I don't know. I'm just thinking about the way that that has changed right. um, in 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 the last several years. Because, say, like ten years ago, message boards were well, you know, you sort of hang out and you meet people, and there were some there were like sort of jerks on the message board, but the message board itself was a kind of a neutral kind of a site. Whereas now, uh, I'm sure there were still whatever good yeah. message boards, but but it's it does seem a lot like, like so many stories of, of radicalization seem to begin with on a message board. Yeah. In the book, this is one of my favorite scenes, you know, they sort of go through quickly, which is, I totally understand. <laughs> I was really oddly drawn to like drawing, like, or, or writing about these weird scenes of like domesticity of, of the invaders, like making them dinner and, you know, taking them to the bathroom to get cleaned up, you know, acting like, Hey, you know, you know, do you want more salad? <laughs> You know, like it's um, again taking like a a vacation situation. Like you're there with other people and you're making dinner and having dinner, but obviously having it <laughs> having it subverted or, or twisted, having that regularness twisted into a strange place. Yeah. I think color is clearly important tonight. I'd be curious. To, to know like why those walls are blue um i mean he seems very purposeful with almost every sort of decision that gets made i would assume like how uh um adrian's sort of shirt met you know matches that color palette a little bit i don't know yeah yeah. i mean yeah. I, I mean in the book i was certainly focused on the color yellow and i had a a, a lamp in the book which i did not expect anyone to pick up but just to, you know, just for my own sort of jollies, like I had this little yellow lamp that every time it got knocked over, whatever person knocked that over was that, you know, was that was the next person to be killed kind of thing. And, and a no. challenge to be like, oh, like I, I want to do it in a way that people aren't like, why does he keep talking about this lamp? You know, I want it to be, you know, hopefully somewhat subtle. So we're getting close to where the book and the movie definitely go on different paths. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're able to get out without a knife. You know, Redmond makes a big deal, both in the movie and in the book about like, you know, if we really were here to hurt you, we would use duct tape instead of rope. You know, the idea that rope is part of this ritualistic thing. Right. Um, you know, rope, if you're in it long enough, get, you know, they just were able to, to loosen it up enough. You know, they wouldn't be able to do that with duct tape, obviously. You know, and in the book, when remembers that she had left her grasshoppers in the in the jar outside and just becomes like, you know, inconsolable screaming about them. Um, you know, and I definitely wanted that to be, you know, a juxtaposition of, you know, when actually cares about the seven living creatures that are, you know, uh, trapped inside right, the jar. Right. Whereas, you know, if you choose to believe that there's some sort of, you know, higher power, you know, pulling the strings and all this, he, you know, that higher power definitely does not have the same reaction that when is having to those grasshoppers. Right.
you know, I think Abby's acting great here because it's, you know, it's very emotional. But at the same time, she's so like twitchy. It's hard to believe her. Although like watching her, you believe she believes what she's saying. Right, right. But like I would have a hard time believing her. I would think that, you know, I would be on Team Andrew. I would be on Team Andrew pretty much the whole time. But yeah. People cry on command, John. Have you ever, it, did you ever act? I, I mean, did drama actually. classes. I, yeah, I uh, I was in my uh, I was in my uh, high school drama club, and then uh, I acted in a production of uh, the Scottish play when uh, I was an it's adjunct. Not Scottish uh, crap. Oh, I don't know. God, about twenty years ago, <laughs> more than that. <laughs> I'm trying not to bring bad luck onto yeah. anybody. Yeah. And uh, but but it was a minor part. I played an old an old general, um, old Seward, and. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was that was challenging enough. But but I was I was watching these young kids who were uh, who were just doing a, a astonishing uh, astonishing work. Um, just and I, I yeah, how they did it, I don't know. Right. I remember when writing the book. I mean, I sort of knew where the story was. I mean, I knew where the story was going. But at one point, you do have to break the pattern. I mean in fiction pattern stories are a lot of fun you know either to lean into them or or sort of at some point you know you you want to disrupt the pattern in some you know in some way you know and that obviously can be a powerful experience hopefully for the reader um you know at a, at a certain point in the book i didn't want the reader to feel safe that to be like oh hey you know they're here to they're just going to continue sacrificing each other until the world ends right so you know the in theory the family could do nothing and all the invaders would just kill themselves so you weren't necessarily fearing for right for the uh you know for for Andrew and Erica and when so part of that was part of the reason why something pretty bad happens to one of the characters in, in the book that doesn't happen in the movie yeah I'll refrain from spoiling because I'm hoping some of you listeners out there will go and read the book if you haven't read it yet after listening to my thrilling and insightful uh commentary well yeah i mean i think that the as you say right the 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 danger if you will is that the movie itself becomes a ritual you know it, it's it's like just sort of playing out this 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 brutal ritual just just over and over and over and over again um and which could have its own kind of i i suppose horrific kind of yeah. uh, uh thrill or attraction or something like that but leaving that leaving that aside i think it's more interesting if if things don't go don't go according to plan for right. for for everybody right and you know and how how does that affect obviously the invaders as well like their commitment to the cause if this terrible th this terrible thing that they had not planned on happening happens you know in the in the book they still despite you know despite this act they still continue you know to be committed to their visions or committed to the idea of that they have no choice, uh, which to me was one of the horrors of, of the story is how attractive that belief is. I mean, obviously it happens, you know, it's happened, you know, throughout history, you know, politically, you know, with large numbers of people, of people, you know, committing atrocities in the, you know, in the name of, you know, in the name of, you know, government, in the name of state, in the name of religion, you know, thinking that, oh, like my responsibility is absolved because I didn't have a say in this. I had to do it. 
And to me, that's sort of what yeah. the so, some of what the the invaders sort of represent. Yeah, it's it's the 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 um I, I don't even the, the the peace or something that 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 it comes with uh, surrendering your autonomy and your free will mm -hmm. to something bigger than yourself. Um, and uh, which, yeah, I, I might think, wow, that's, that's not a piece. It's, it's not worth, you know, that, that piece is not worth the price of it. But I think for a lot of people, you know, obviously it is. Right. Yeah. And that price is the break with the social compact, the idea that you have no, you have no responsibility to other people. Yeah. Um, but you know, for, for many, <laughs> you know, they don't recognize that's the price or they think, as you say, the price is worth it. Well, the, yeah, ab absolutely. Because then, then if, if you're on the winning team, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> that's the, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're safe, you're, you're uh, um, or safer anyway, or something like that, you know, and who doesn't want to be on the winning team? Right. But, you know, the, the notion, I mean, I mean, that notion of sacrifice, like I said, man, it just, you know, um, it, it just goes back so far human, you know, the, the sacrificing the human to the gods, God or the gods. Mm. I mean, it's, um, it's something that whether we believe it or not, like we, we encounter it from such a young age. Oh no, for sure. And I mean, yeah, I mean, in that story of sacrifice, yeah, moves beyond religion to, you know, uh, all forms of government or state or society, like, you know, you got to sacrifice yourself for the betterment of everybody else. Um, no, no, no. Uh, you know, without getting too, too political. Sorry, I'm just being distracted by when, uh, when having a, a purposeful tantrum so that they can escape. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. again, like much different than the book where, you know, her tantrum is due to the fact that she remembers that all those grasshoppers are outside. Um, Shoot, what was I saying? Uh, oh, the, the, yeah, the notion of sacrifice. I don't know. I, I mean, I find it so obviously, like it's been through all, you know, it, it's there, as you mentioned, in every culture, every religion, um, you know, stories of sacrifice. And it could be stories of noble sacrifice, but I don't know. It seems like so often the sacrifice can, I think, in lesser stories, boil down to, oh, this person, you know, sacrifice. Isn't it wonderful? We get to continue living our sort of privileged, happy lives with, you know, with no further need of reflection or, or remorse or change. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's something I, I definitely rebelled against in, you know, in writing this book and that, and that notion of, of, you know, sacrifice, you know, maybe on some level, any size of any society of any size requires that, that people be sort of grinding the gears, you know, obviously we want to try to, ameliorate that or lessen that as much as possible but also at the same time you know maybe we shouldn't be celebrating that <laughs> yeah 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 this was a hard scene for me to write uh because it, it felt very actiony uh I, so it just meant like i wanted to like you know so the scene of him going to the to the truck to to go after his to go after his gun like I yeah. just wanted to make sure <laughs> everything made sense. You know, much more comfortable writing about character or, or thoughts and other stuff. And it right. definitely takes me a lot longer to write scenes of of action or, or people fighting and stuff like that. I don't know. Do you 
you find that to be the same with you or given that you studied it's funny what, what, it, what it makes me think detailed? of is uh no just that, that uh stephen king i think it's in don's macabre writes about uh, the difficulty of of uh of writing about action and he he i think he puts it in terms of like just try to write like a description of uh how to drive your car like how to drive mm. your stick shift or something like that and he's like but make sure you've got good insurance before you do that and yeah <laughs> just trying to write about how you prepare a uh, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right i mean is is like it's it's easy right it's 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 pre-conscious right but but it, but when you actually try to figure out well how does it work how how mm. does this happen um that's a whole other story and yeah. and um yeah i i think you know how do you um like when I was a kid, right? You would write action scenes. Um, like everything was uh, uh, meticulously detailed because, to a certain extent, you have the 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 visual reference. You're like, well, how would it happen in a movie? Um, hmm. And and but books aren't movies, right? So it's like, well, then you're trying to represent how right. does the violence feel to the character or seem to the character? Yeah, without without it reading like a list of 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 ingredients or instructions, right? you know, having sort of it fit into the wider yeah. world of the, of the novel too. Yeah. Yeah. So Leonard here talking about like believing why the family was chosen. They, they shot more scenes where he's sort of like explaining or why he thinks this family was chosen, et cetera. I think they wisely cut. Although they give some of that to uh, Eric to say sort of toward the end. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got the gun versus the <laughs> versus the homemade weapons. You know, in the movie, the gun kind of wins, but like in the book, the idea that the when the gun shows up, that things are automatically better. I definitely, yeah, yeah. I definitely rebel against that. Yeah, so this flashback when I first saw the movie, like I want, like this was hard to watch, even though it's pretty much in the book. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, maybe not in the same spot, but uh, you know, certainly a reference to this assault. It was just hard to watch, and there was a moment of, geez, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have wrote that. Like I don't know, it was, you know, it's obviously a terrible thing that happens. It's, it's hard to watch. Well, I think that it's it's. Um obviously it's 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 a fundamental part of uh of andrew and eric to a certain yeah, extent yeah. but but you know of his of his character and also that for us uh, you know i think what's fascinating about the way that that it's filmed here is that you're you're not a hundred percent sure like like is this redmond you know like like mm. he's they're having a confrontation in a barn and, oh okay right. right but you don't know you don't know for sure That's right. When I yeah, turned even, in, even with the yeah, I was just say with the beard, the hat, you know, it's, right. it's like you know. When I uh, turned in the novel, I actually didn't get like a lot of uh, what do they call them top line edits or you know editorial letter edits from my editor. Um, mm -hmm. The one thing she did want, like in the book, I made it more clear that it definitely was Redmond who had uh, attacked him. Um, 
and she had me suggested that I change it to leaving it a little bit open-ended, um, which I, which I ended up doing yeah. though. It's fun. It's interesting in the, in the movie, you know, cause you could definitely see that it was Rupert Grint there, even though it's, you know, it's just a flash. Um, you know, the movie makes it clear it was Rupert, which at this point in the film, I, I would hope would, would think would make the viewers think, Oh, maybe there isn't something, you know, maybe an apocalypse isn't happening. Right. I think if they'd had him using his wand, that would have been better. But you know. <laughs> what's his Patronus? I don't know. Is that is that what it is? No, the I forget what it's called. What the Patronus isn't that like yeah. the spirit? Your individual yeah, 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 yeah. sort of spirit right. animal yeah, yeah. Yeah. that protects Ron Weasley. Yeah. Yeah, so it's clearly daylight, but it's not like blistering sun out there. Yeah. Sort of as we were talking earlier. That phrase, a part of humanity has been judged, uh, is definitely an addition to the story. Well... I should say, in addition to the story, it's in this movie. It's not in the book. Right, right, right. That was an interesting shot there, too, with Wen's face very still, eyes closed, sun's on her face. While Leonard yeah, uh, yeah. You know, goes through with, you know, the, the ritual side of the, of the death. Right, right. Yeah, return to that shot. It's interesting too the the way that Andrew is is framed as he as he steps out onto the porch. You know that that he's he's it, although there's in a sense all this space around him, it it, it he feels very hemmed in. Mm. There's all those books. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the books are okay, that's what matters. Did an interview for a Boston news station, and they asked me, "Why'd you pick Medford for, <laughs> you know, for uh, for Redmond or O'Bannon is his name, uh, his real name?" And you were like, "Because of all the yeah, races, <laughs> sorry, and homophobia and yeah, I felt like I was yeah, you know, like felt like the question, the way it was formed, was like you were I was implying something about Medford or the Boston area. It's like, oh, it's just right, right, where he's from." And Medford in a Boston accent is great. It's like Medfa. It all goes back to Boston accents for me, John. <laughs> I'm just gonna um look. Oh, look! Look at the. Uh, I was just I was trying to like, trying to entice you into doing, into doing accents since you're so good at them. Something that would get me in a lot of a lot of trouble. <laughs> Get a Philadelphia accent. Actually, I don't know what a Philadelphia accent is. I uh, I have actually heard a Philadelphia accent, and it's very difficult to do. Hmm. I, I worked with a guy uh, with a Philadelphia accent. Yeah, so I'd say at this point in the movie, it's full full divergence of of, of book and and film. Yeah, yeah. Interesting too here in this scene, right? That in the in the same way that. Um, 
at the beginning of the movie, Andrew and Eric are dwarfed by the by the bookcase. Now it's Leonard who's who's dwarfed by the bookcase. Mm-hmm. You know, they've 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 switched positions. Man, I wonder what they did with this beautiful cabin. <laughs> that, like, on set, like again, they, 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 <laughs> they built it in the middle of this warehouse. It's like it broke my heart to think that they're just going to tear this down. Like, can they put this on the pond nearby me? <laughs> I'd be happy to stay there. Maybe, maybe uh, Shyamalan still goes out there, still goes out there yeah, late maybe. at night and just goes inside the cabin inside this huge warehouse and right. just, you know, he did film that at the bookshelf. He did film an NBA commercial there. Uh, did he really yeah it was him and um james harden knight's a big 76ers fan and harden's on the 76ers so they were able to shoot this weird like nba cross promotion with knock at the cabin was he like was he like i don't know dribbling through the cabin you know like <laughs> now you could now it's like ours you know they they did some bad like puns about basketball in the cabin but then there's a knock at the door uh yeah leonard's a big dude <laughs> and it's dave batista and he grabs yeah. the ball and he just crushes it in his hands sorry uh i'll finish that story in a second i love the little detail of him putting his glasses back on i do think that's like a, a leonard thing to do even though leonard in the book doesn't have glasses but like in what right. we were talking about before you know it just seemed like a <laughs> oddly like nebbish thing oh, i gotta put these on i mean obviously he needs them to see but i thought that was a fun detail one more character detail for him. But the rest of the NBA commercial is there's yeah, a knock yeah. at the is the knock at the door, and Knight says to Harden, "I wouldn't answer that if I was you." And Harden answers it, and it's his coach Doc Rivers yelling at him to get to practice or something. Ha ha ha. <laughs> well, you know, I well, well okay. I, in the book, uh, sort of at this point, Eric does turn on the TV to see a report about a plane falling in the book though there's like seven not i think they said 700 <laughs> or all of them yeah yeah well it, it this is a i, I mean a, the the movie has staked its claim at this point right you know i yes. i mean there's plane crash another one of you know that, that rounds out my top three fears. What's interesting too, there's also the moment right where, where when now says, Oh, you said it wasn't real. Like now when believes it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's like, if when believes it, well, we're going to have to accept it too. Yeah. Seven hundred. That's a lot of planes. A lot of uh, yeah. Okay, I do remember this part as a holdover from the first screenplay that I saw with Leonard saying what the. But the person on the TV is saying. So at this point, there is no more ambiguity. It's definitely happening. Right, right.
Which is, I mean, it's a big difference. It's a big choice. I mean, on some level, it means we're rooting for, well, I guess a lot of us would be rooting for the invaders, right? If, if the rest of us don't want the world to end. Well, we, we, uh, yeah, I mean, we sort of have to be right. Like, like that's the, the diabolical thing about, about the adaptation, right. Is that you, you have to root for these, these people who are uh, going to murder each other as they're trying to get people, other people to, to murder each other, you know, it, it, because if they, if they don't, if, if this doesn't happen, then everybody dies. Like, like it's, right. um, Yeah, I mean, with the book, I try to shy away from explicitly referencing, you know, exact Judeo-Christian sort of instances or beliefs. But at the same time, I mean, obviously, there's four of them referencing the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, you know, and even like the seven grasshoppers and the, the number seven referencing like the seven seals, all that stuff. Um, and also in the book, like the colors the colors of the shirts of the invaders sort of line up and their names sort of mean the colors that are associated with the, with the horsemen as well. So, I mean, right. I, I, I did right. lean into some of it, but I tried to make it not like in your face. Um, you know, but it does strike me, especially, you know, watching it play out this way, because it plays out in a much different way in the book that, you know, it's, I mean, there are tons of stories you could reference, but like Abraham, the story of Abraham sort of jumps out. Right. Or when he actually does go to kill his son, you know, God stops him. <laughs> uh, yeah, which makes it's still a pretty cruel thing for God to do, but at least like he didn't have to go through with the murder. Um, but here it's like, nope, <laughs> you got to go through with all of it. Well, yeah, and the thing too is that within within the narrative, within the Abraham and Isaac narrative, Abraham, we know because because I, I suppose at some point when we're when we're kids and we first hear that narrative, whoever is telling us that story is like, no, no, don't, don't worry, don't worry, he's not going to die, it's okay. But if you just if if you just approach that narrative fresh for the first time, God tells this guy, go kill your only son, and he's like, all right, and off they go and and okay as they're going his son is like ah so what's the sacrifice and abraham's like oh god will provide the sacrifice but that's a big gamble on abraham's part mm -hmm. and if if it doesn't if he if he loses the gamble he is going to murder his son so yeah i do love uh, batista's performance in this movie like he is excellent Oh yeah, yeah. He manages to carry a. It's funny, like by this point in the movie, his um, I'm trying to think. Of the, it's almost like his size is this this kind of representation of all this tremendous sadness that he feels. Um, he he really like like he's he's a great physical actor. Mm. He definitely had a lot of responsibility. He had a ton of lines, quite a few, you know, sort of soliloquies. Um, yeah. the, you know, the days I were there, he had a ton of lines. So he was often like, as soon as the scene was over, he was going back, uh, you know, to work on, to work on his lines for the next, for the next scene. Yeah. 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 I did get to hang out with the other actors quite a bit and they were a lot of fun. They were very complimentary to the book. Um, 
yeah, I enjoy just talking to them and you know learning a little bit about like yeah you know, what they're thinking about the character and how they go through the process and stuff like that. And I think all the all the performances, as you said earlier, are great. And in a movie like this, as you said, I mean, if one of them is wooden or if one of them like doesn't like fully commit to it, I mean, it's very easy to spill over into like camp. Yeah, it's probably true for most horror movies. You know, that was actually one thing I realized by going through this experience is how much a horror story or horror film in particular does rely on the performances. Yeah, no, absolutely. If if you without the without the good without maybe better than good performances, um, you're you're right. The the temptation to just sort of slide into into camp is 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 almost overpowering. It was funny, you know. I I um, was Batista on Saturday Night Live around the time this movie was released. Um, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I, I I remember thinking it at some point, man, this, you know, what's Saturday Night Live going to do with this? Um, but <laughs> I don't think they ever did. Yeah. I'm still on Team Andrew here. Certainly am in the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's 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 a horror situation. You no, know? Sure. it's it's uh um and and I think that um part of what gives the I suppose the film its its power up until this point is the way that it just embraces that. It it just says, okay. Uh, no ambiguity. This is the this is the the way the world works <laughs> through through murder and 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 human sacrifice. Yeah. Like I said, there was a scene earlier they shot earlier where where, Re uh, where sorry, where Leonard was saying some of this, like giving them the names, like of the parts of humanity that they represented. Um. I don't think we needed that. I don't think we needed him to say right, like, right, directly right. that we have, you know, these are the four horsemen. Right. You know, right. But right, why right. us? Why us is a very important question, though. Yeah. No, I mean, like, it's hard for me to be objective about this ending just because, you know, I spent like 15 months working and living on the in the book. Um, you know, my yeah, this just doesn't happen. Like I didn't consider this part for my characters. I do appreciate Andrew voicing <laughs> what he's voicing here though. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and, and the thing is, I mean, um, uh, Eric, jo Jonathan Goff, I mean, that's, uh, it's that's a tough sell, you yeah. know, like like I feel like to 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 act in such a way that he's like, nope, I, I believe this now. I I um because in the in the book we get a lot more about his his Catholic upbringing mm -hmm. and and there's a lot more for us to understand how he could wind up in this position, um, which uh, which the movie, you know, leaves out, uh probably uh probably understandably so. Mm -hmm. Um but so he really has to, he really has to sell this to us. Yeah. 
you know, so this upcoming scene, I've had discussions with a few people who've watched this movie. Like, like, is this like a, an official flash forward? Is he seeing the future? And I don't think he is. I think this is a, you know, sort of like a, a this is what he wishes would happen, you know. Um, I'm not quite sure what Knight is saying here. I, that color is back again. I mean, that's the same color that's on the interior of the cabin, by the way. I just noticed. But the idea that Wen is now, you know, sitting in the driver's seat with Andrew, whereas, you know, mm -hmm. momentarily it's going to be flipped around the other way. I mean, there's definitely a purpose to that. I don't know. <laughs> like, I think that that part's supposed to make you feel a little bit good. Like, oh, she's going to, you know, she's going to go on. But, like, I found this just terribly hor horrifying and sad. Yeah, yeah. And also, yeah. again, like, I mean, I feel like, again, not as someone who, you know, you know me, you know, someone who generally is like, I want to see the violence. I think it's important that it not be brushed under the rug there. Like we should see what the physical results of what, what he just decided to do. Yes. My wife, Lisa, wanted the movie to end here <laughs> in the, in the dollhouse and the treehouse. Yeah, no, I agree by, by especially if uh, I feel if you're going to go this route and, and you're going to say that, okay, this is, this is what has to happen. They embrace this. Then you have to show it. Um, because I think otherwise, I mean, not to be too harsh, but I think you sentimentalize it. Mm. Um, uh, you, 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 and I can understand that, that you know, a, a sort of a counter view would say that, that we don't, we don't want to provide fodder for, for some kind of, um, I, I don't know what, you know, sort of homophobic fantasies or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, I, I, I do, I do understand that, but, but I, I think the risk is probably worth taking easy for me to say, right? Here goes my cabin. Yeah. That's uh, that's why it's not, it's not coming to your, <laughs> uh, to, to live with you anytime soon. That's the outdoor version though. It's funny, there was just a little part of me also that thought, well, and that also, you know, presumably the lightning destroys all the corpses as well. So there's no evidence. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, like, like, yeah. Right. They, uh, they get away with murder. Murder, I tell you. <laughs> there's going to be an investigation. Or what's that? Uh, investigation channel. What do they call that channel? ID. Special on that. This cabin in the woods with all these bodies. What happened? Yeah. Yeah, or maybe I, I would like to end it or end it here before we get to the diner. I mean, sort of the sun coming mm -hmm. out sort of implies mm -hmm. that, hey, a new day is dawning. Right, right. I do like going to diners, though. That would be a happy place for me. Oh, the diner at the end of the world, John. That's the next book. It writes itself. <laughs> no. Well. So there's no apocalypse after all. Well, it's been prevented, I suppose, is uh, 
I suppose that that's what's being communicated here. Yeah, and the, yeah, I mean, the miraculous things are happening. You know, I mean, I mean, the the death rate slowing is is I don't know if that's possible or not. I mean, maybe, um, but the water receding, you know, that's definitely uh, mm. sort of Noah after the flood kind of thing. Yeah. So I've said in like a bunch of interviews, because I'm obnoxious, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I find this ending way bleaker than my ending. Sort of like it's, you know, it's implications. <laughs> like, you know, how do Andrew and when, um, how do Andrew and when go on after this? I mean, I would never write a sequel to the book that I wrote, but I'm weirdly inter interested in writing a story from, you know, about when, Maybe 20 years later, you know, when she's joined some like goth death cult that wants to kill, you know, wants to kill God or something, you know, because, you know, here these two characters are, they just had to, you know, some incredibly, I don't know, what, what do you want to use? I was going to use whimsical, but that's not right. Like a, you know, a cruel God that forces them to, you know, to kill their husband slash, and, you know, from his point of view, her father, you know. Well, it's also it's, because it's, of like because of what set of rules and like how, how do they two go on now with this knowledge, not yeah, the knowledge of the murder, but the knowledge of the greater the um, cosmology, cosmology yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, because there's something about you know this as as God or or the, or the God of this movie is is, um, I don't know is is kind of capricious. I, I mean, maybe if because you would think that that this God would have to know that nobody is just going to say oh sure four strangers show up sure i'll i'll kill a family member why not um it uh so so therefore this god has to know that at least one if not several plagues are are going to be visited on on humanity so mm -hmm. it's like you know so god kind of gets to have his there it's cake and eat it too you know there's still mm -hmm. the sacrifice at the end but in the meantime a whole bunch of people have been wiped out and th there's something that is particularly monstrous about uh, about that yeah and um you know i i i know that that uh people who are of a different religious faith i i guess or or or, or nature of faith i guess than i whatever I have would, would say, no, no, you know, you can't question God's ways or something like that. But um, yeah, I don't buy that. <laughs> I guess I think that's why we have intelligence, you know, like, like if you, um, or unless you want to, you want to believe that this God is crueler still who gives you the intelligence not to be able to understand, <laughs> to want to understand these things, but not to be able to understand them. So yeah, it's, it's this kind of nightmare nightmare world yeah. yeah no it is a horror um, movie after all i mean i was definitely properly horrified <laughs> yeah yeah no um, i, I and, think and a, so and a quick word of that last scene in the truck yeah I mean, like that could have been that could have it could have come off like super hokey but i don't think it did i thought that was actually played uh played pretty well like with them like with the emotion of them turning on and off the off the uh off the radio yeah, no, I think it's it's they're they're attempting to go on. They're they're attempting to yeah. um that they're, they're attempting to uh um yeah to continue. And and I suppose that that um 
I mean, you, you, if you wanted to psychologize it, you could say that the the vision that uh, that Eric has right as he's about to sacrifice himself um, or be murdered is um, is in in some way a recognition that Andrew and Wen together will be able to go on in a way that he and Wen might not be able to go on or something mm -hmm. like that. Right on. I don't think there's any uh, post scene post credits. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. There's just as, you, as you, you watch the as you watch the credits, there are just these little like, oh, now there's a lightning strike. Oh, you know, it's just like, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> Coming soon. All right. So that was knock at the cabin. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining me on this journey, John. Uh, thank you for for inviting me to join you on your journey, and thank you to everybody who has has also joined us on our journey. Uh, blasphemous and heretical as it may have been, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Read John's books. Read, read Paul's books. books. Sure. Read you read. You should actually read Cabin at the End of the World. Just just I'm I'm just telling you, you won't regret it. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it's I mean, I would almost say like, obviously, I'd prefer everyone in the world bought the book before the movie, but. In some weird way, I think maybe like in terms of story experience, you might be better off watching the movie first and then reading the book. I don't know. Yeah, it, it would be an interesting, I, I mean, uh, yeah, it would be an interesting uh, experience. <laughs> All right. And on that note, I guess we will uh, sign off. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Rogue, for letting us take over your airwaves. Thank you, Rogue. Thank you, Rogue.